Welcome to the For Friends and Family podcast. It's Gavin. It's Wednesday, April 8th. It's 11 a.m. in Los Angeles. It is rainy. It's been rainy for a couple of days, and then it's now sunny, which it normally is. And it's bizarre because when I went out this morning, it was so clear and so that the you, the the air was so beautiful. And today on the podcast, I have a friend of mine, uh, Richard, who uh, I met when we were working with Arsenal Football Club. And he's since gone on to do more football things. And when I say football, I mean soccer. And um, he's going to give me all sorts of updates. And I have made sure that I have not asked him anything off air. So everything is going to be real. And 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 I don't even know what he's going to say. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Hi, Gavin. How are you? I'm good. Now, you are in uh, the UK, right? Correct. Just outside London. Now, I follow your Instagram at Mr. Richard Clark. And you're, uh, is it Richard Clark or Rich Clark? No, it's at Mr. Richard Clark, E on the end of Clark. That's all you got to remember. Yeah, because you travel all over the world. Tell everyone what exactly you do. I see you like all the time on planes. (laughs) Well, yeah, obviously my background, uh, Arsenal's first ever website editor and became managing editor of TV, print and everything like that. 14, 15 years at Arsenal. And uh, then I went to two years in Major League Soccer with the Colorado Rapids, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed and i would love to work in the u.s again um and i came back to the uk uh, and i've been a consultant in that period of time spent two years traveling back and forth with the indonesian league uh, and of course indonesia the biggest country in the world in which football is the number one sport um but there's lots and lots of challenges in there so i went back and forth there traveled to all the clubs in that particular first division are 18 clubs in places like Borneo, Sumatra, Bali. There's a club on Bali. They won the league last year. Wow. Uh, Papua, places like that where um, literally I think it's the, it's, the, it's the biggest or second biggest span in terms of um, one club visiting another in the world. I think there's one in Russia that's stronger. Or is it, or is it Australia, New Zealand, that league that, that, that's wider? Apart from that... It's like two time zones, which is not anything unusual. I did that in America, but fascinating. Loved it a bit. So two years there. I've been working in the UAE uh, with their league and uh, working a little bit in the Philippines in terms of digital, social media, media training, content. Oh. Expe- expe- so that's why you're on the planes all the time. Yeah, I've... Um, it's up to my Instagram game quite a lot, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, I love your Instagram. I follow and like, I, 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 your air miles and everything. I see, you, you know, all the type of seats you're sitting in and where you're going. And it's a real <laughs> insight into like, because Indonesia, I don't think a lot of people here in North America, which I would imagine most of the people listening to this are, um, uh, or in Europe, that, that, you know, we don't really understand that Indonesia is like, I got a, hundred, a population of 100 million people. It's massive. No, 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 no. It's 100 million, more than 100 million people online. It is uh, 240. It's oh the fourth God. biggest country in the world. It's the fourth what? biggest country in the world, the largest Muslim country in the world. It's 17,000 islands. So when you think, the interesting <laughs> thing with Indonesia, and I loved it to bits, and, and Jakarta, so many stories. The Indonesian people are the most friendly people I've, I've, I've ever met. Actually, I think when I lived in America, I, I, I found Americans extremely friendly. But the Indonesians are, are very soulful as well. And very generous, very, very smiley. 
Um, but um, uh, you hear of places like Borneo. Borneo is on an island called Kalimantan. Um, Sumatra, you, Sumatran coffee. Java, that's that's an island in in Indonesia. Papua, that's an island in, in Indonesia. <laughs> Lombok, that's an island in Indonesia. Bali, that's an island in Indonesia. It's so uh, great, Komodo, <laughs> where the Komodo dragons come from, they come from Indonesia. So Indonesia is seventeen thousand islands, and it, it's an incredible place. I love it to bits. They are, and and they. And you're so excited. You're so excited about it. <laughs> You're I love, like, I love, I love it. it. I love. I love, it. I love talking to you. I would, I talk I would literally go to a, a ground with sixty thousand people in there, and and they would they would shout at me, "Boule, boule, boule," and they they love me to bits, and they come and talk to me because I was the only white guy there, and boule means white guy. Boule. Okay, good to know. Um, and 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 the, and they were so um, pleased that that um, someone from the West had given their football, which is something they hold or soccer which they hold very very dear they'd given that it's so much respect that they would come and talk to me and they would you'll meet someone in the street and they'll say come back to, to my house I, I would i would like to oh cook you a meal like, and it's rude not to accept what um you must have yeah, and, and no no wait, wait let me pause you for one second and say is the foot how is the level of soccer slash football over there like is it is, not, is it premier yes. league over or? no it's, it's not great um it's not great they're not like, could they play in the U.S. like the MLS or no? Yeah, yeah, they're not as good as MLS, um, uh, in my opinion. And there were some players that you might know. I mean, Michael Essien, the old Chelsea player, was over there mm. when I was there. Momo Sissoko played for Liverpool. He was over there as well. But it, it is players at the end of their career. Mm-hmm. And the standard, the international standard is not particularly high. When I came back in... I, I came over there because I'd, I'd done Arsenal's content strategy when we went to places like Japan and mm-hmm. Indonesia and China and all those places. And I met some people in Indonesia, obviously, while I was over there with Arsenal. And one of them became CMO. A guy called Piotr Jakubowski became CMO for Gojek, which is like a, an Uber on steroids. The bikes yeah, yeah. is an app that runs the bikes and logistics in and Indonesia. go massage, go for, yes, food. And they were sponsoring the league. The league had been banned by FIFA because of political interference. <laughs> it came back after <laughs> two years out. The international team had not played at all. There'd been an unofficial league and they came back and they were rated 170 in the world. Okay. Now bear in mind, the only countries in the world that are bigger in terms of population than Indonesia are China, India, and the US. Uh, fu- and funnily enough, all those countries have started soccer leagues in the sort of semi-recent past. You know, yeah. there's, uh, MLS is 25 years old this week, I think, but that's still relatively recent in, but- in, in, foot, in soccer terms. Indonesia, they've been playing for 100 years. They're just not particularly good at it oh, for all so- sorts of structural and, cu- and cultural reasons. But in Indonesia, do they – now, they don't have a very – the people aren't wealthy, right? So are the, 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 the tickets to go it's, – it's still a very grassroots game, and it must have been encouraging for you to go back when you come from Europe and North America where it is like big money, billionaires own comp- – you know, like it, it, people are paying hundreds of dollars for tickets. I remember you telling me once that you know in Indonesia, it's still very grassroots. It's very working class that people can still buy a ticket for a few – Rupees, talk a little bit about like how much people make and and how much it would cost a, a ticket. I mean, the tickets are a few dollars, the cheapest ticket price. I mean, there's the interesting thing about Indonesia: the discrepancy, the the disparity in wealth is huge. Some of the best malls I've ever been to in my life are in places like Surabaya, 
and Jakarta uh, and things like that. I mean, Surabaya, incidentally, Surabaya is Indonesia's second city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's Java's second biggest city after Jakarta. That, that's the place where King Kong came from in in the movie. <laughs> um, in fact, I think the boat he comes across on in the 1930s movie is the pride of Surabaya or the king of Surabaya or something like that. So it's, it's, there's lots of these historical references. But yeah, um, it, it is still a a sport of the people. Um, but all, of these many, many islands, they are they're very representative of, of their area. And of course, it was a very disparate nation. So there's almost a nationhood around individual teams. The team from Papua is, there's the feeling that they must have lots of Papua uh, representation uh, or players from pa- from Papua on that team. Oh. Same Same with some of the players from... Sumatra to a, a, a lesser uh, okay. extent Bali. So that's probably think, why they're not. That's probably why they're not as good because they have to use players, and they, you know they probably have lots of people to choose from. But then again, you know that when you're talking about players at the very elite level, there's very few of them in the world, right? So that's why they they go and work, they play in the Premier League and that sort of stuff. So yeah, or but, is it the but, coaching? But, but, well, I mean, also, I mean, th- th- there's a physical aspect. There's a size aspect. In in Europe, I am um, um, I'm a I'm a large size in terms of clothing. In Indonesia, I'm an XL or a double XL. They're physically smaller, okay, right? So every single team that bought a foreign player would make sure they were a big forward or a big big centre back, and both of those would score lots and lots of headers from corners because the players from yeah. Europe are physically taller, uh. um, and. I think the other thing is. So when you're over in when you're over in in, in Indonesia, Indonesia, you feel like a really big, tall white guy. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I'm a, well, I, I don't think I feel tall anywhere, but uh, yeah. I was certainly taller. That's that's for sure. Um, I mean, the other thing is that that um, I think Indonesians average. I think I think I was right in saying there's a huge smoking issue there and a huge diabetes issue there. They they smoke a lot and they like very very sugary things generally. There's you can get very fat very easily over there, as I did find out. Um, but they things like walking on the road is hard because the infrastructure isn't there. So everybody gets bikes. Yeah. In a, in a, in a, in a, a city like Jakarta, um, they. Yeah, I, I saw on your Instagram you were always on bikes with these weird helmets yeah. on the back and getting. Yeah, I was. It took me about six six months of bravery, about two trips over to get brave enough to go on the bikes. Um, because because you're on the back, you're behind going. someone, right? It's like a bike taxi, yes. really. You don't yes, drive the yes. bike; it's too dangerous for you to drive it. No, no, I don't. I wouldn't drive one them there. But it, I, I got cars there for uh, a certain period of time, and then I sort of got brave enough to go on the bikes. And and you, and using this this Gojek app, which was fantastic, you, you get the bikes very quickly. They're very very cheap, and they take you from one place to another. So Indonesians don't walk, so they only walk maybe. I think the average is something like two and a half thousand steps a day. Wow. Whereas in England, they're trying to say, well, try and walk 10,000 10, steps yeah. a day. And I, you know, I, I could do that. I could do that quite easily. So the, the, there is a different sort of health pattern and, and physical. But, but you're saying it's more dangerous. It's more dangerous for people to walk on the road. So they have to take the bikes because the infrastructure isn't there. Is that, is that essentially why people aren't, aren't, aren't walking? It's not because they're technically lazy. It's just probably just dangerous. Um, there's an element. Also, the, also the sidewalks, the pavements aren't very good. 
um, that that sort of infrastructure isn't there. And this is um, and, and this is a good part, a, a good way to segue into sort of as we wind down here on the podcast is that you know we're in the middle of COVID, and what I wanted to ask you about is like your experience um, around COVID and and that sort of stuff it, 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 within Indonesia, but anywhere else. And I just want to let everyone know out there that as of today, which is April eighth, Wednesday, um, there are one point four million totally total confirmed cases. There's 85,000 total deaths and there are 315,000 people that have recovered. We are in the midst of it here in um, uh, America. Europe is starting to slightly come out of it. Um, Wuhan just today or yesterday released everyone allowing people to leave their homes and there was a mass exodus uh, because people had been there for 76 days or something like that. But for you, Richard, you know, what are you hearing from Indonesia? What what are you hearing from um, around the world to do with COVID? And, and can you give us any insights into that? Well, my, I haven't been in Indonesia in the period of time where this particular crisis has been going on. I, I've spoken to people and I don't think it's hit too hard yet but there's a concern that it, it it could hit it hard because of the nature of the population there that they, they live in small spaces that it's very cramped in in certain areas and so um a virus like like that there's a fear it could spread very quickly mm-hmm. if it does take hold but i don't think it's that bad yet yeah there's only um, th- there's a 2956 cases in indonesia when you think right, that there's what 250 million people or so that's that's not that many yeah yeah so that's great news and they've only had 240 deaths so they've had 240 deaths so they may be a few months behind us possibly potentially i mean in terms of the uk um obviously we've been on lockdown here for three weeks i think it is now um so prime minister's in is in in intensive care you know yeah and uh, obviously best of luck, luck to him he's he was he was um that became an issue because I think there was a concern that the government weren't being being open enough about his condition, and the journalists were were, were pressing the government on the fact that mm-hmm. that it, it was clear that he was a little bit sicker, or they got the they got the feeling he was sicker than he actually was, and then they came out and said he's actually gone into mm. intensive care. So in terms of Britain itself, I mean, I think that we've we've seen we've seen um the government coming out and advising strong advice putting out strongly worded statements and yet not being overly dictatorial and that led for a period of time where maybe a couple of weeks where i'm not sure the brits were taking it as seriously as they as they should have done well i have to and admit they i thought weren't isolating i thought in, that in, in the right thought, ways i thought that you know boris had gone in because he did it on you know, he went into intensive care the morning that the queen spoke and i thought oh this might be a little bit of like gamesmanship to get people to stay inside a little bit but it doesn't seem to be that and i think that you're right i think that this the the media and the pushing hard about the condition and uh, of boris and you know when you're going into icu you know the doctor they must have thought long and hard about doing that uh because you know if you go onto these you know these um uh, ventilators. I mean, the, the, I was reading about it. It's not pretty. Like you don't. Very few people come off them so far. I mean, they don't have enough data. But they're saying that people go into ventilators. Like generally, many of them die. And the other thing is the way that they put the ventilator in because it's actually a tube stuck right into your lungs. Yes. Is that it does yes. it does a lot of damage, and many people don't recover from that side of it. Yes, I've heard something similar. Obviously, that I think there's an element of sedation 
yeah. from what I read. Well, that's just to the, get the uh, tube in. Yeah, so that, yeah, to get to get to get the tube in, and that's and that's uh, from what I understand, what I've read. I'm not I'm, I'm a medical expert at all. That is relatively. Um, uh, uh, difficult and intrusive, um, but yes, there's also a concern about some long-term damage. And of course, in my area of sport, m- moving into as uh, as someone calls it, the most important unimportant thing in the world. Yeah. Um, we're 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 seeing huge issues, moral issues in terms of whether players should give up their wages, whether clubs will exist, et cetera, et cetera. So there's you know in in the wider economy there's 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 concerns about what this will look like afterwards, mm-hmm. and there's a general feeling now. I think just announced today that that Britain had. Uh, 938 deaths, which I think is the highest we've ever we've ever had on a specific mm-hmm. day. But the overall cases are starting to taper off. So there's hope in a couple of days when that works its way through, we might be tapering off to a certain extent. And maybe this is the peak of daily deaths. And I think we're something like 7,000 now. But you know, there's <clears throat> there's still an awful lot of work to be done. There's still stories of tube trains being too packed. They're starting to shut parks because it was a sunny weekend and people went out on Sundays. Well, 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 let's talk a little bit about sport because your expertise is football, soccer. Um, So what are you hearing? What are the rumblings on the ground in the UK? Do they think there's going to be a season? Um, You know, you know, players, we've heard all the the main sporting things across all different types of sports of, you know, that have big teams and and owners that people are sometimes taking, um, you know, not going to, you know, salaries are being cut and things like that. What are you hearing? What are some of the stories on the ground that that are that are interesting that my listeners might be say, oh, I, I hadn't heard that? Yeah, there's a few things going on. In terms of the non-league football, which is like if the Premier League is the first tier, well, non-league football, there's four professional leagues. And once you get into the fifth tier, it's 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 often semi-professional. Those leagues from fifth tier downwards, most of them have expunged the league. Say it didn't happen kind of thing. Um, in the, in the what do you mean? Wait, wait, when you say it didn't happen, voided. the, the, the voided. entire year's voided. Yeah, from what I understand. Um, in the Premier League, they're not doing that. And there's a commitment from what I understand and what I read to play out the league because, of course, there's a um, TV there's, there's high, high revenue television contracts which are holding up clubs and um, holding up clubs financially. A club like Bournemouth, it's something like I hope 90 percent of its revenue is is television money. Well, how are they um, going to play without any? So are they going to play on empty fields or like I've heard that there's some players in the NBA like LeBron James has said, I'm not playing in an empty stadium. I'm here for the fans. So, yeah, I heard that. Yeah. And, and I yeah, heard that I, some of the players are pushing back also in the in in the EPL or the English Premier League and saying, no, I'm not playing in front of empty sta- stadiums. It's not my job. I haven't necessarily heard that. I mean, there was talk. There was talk um, a week ago of potentially playing. Put putting the players basically in camps uh, in the in the Midlands, the middle of the country, and playing games back to back behind closed doors. Um, that 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 hasn't so you mean gone they anywhere. Sort of quarantine story. them for a couple of weeks and then start Almost, playing games. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and the and the but what's interesting, of course, if you want to keep people um, in their houses and you want to keep people doing what 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 you what you want them to do i think part of the process is ensuring they're not bored yeah social media is doing a good job in terms of people putting out some interesting content but the southampton uh, chairman i think it was a chairman or certainly one of their leading lights 
uh, said or let it slip a few weeks ago that the government was looking to get them playing as quickly as possible because the country needed football. It would entertain us. And if you're playing back-to-back games, well, that's going to... Can you imagine what those those tickets would be worth? Everybody's going to want to be in that area. I mean, they would literally have to have a police presence because the first thing I would be thinking, I'm like, well, if they're in the Midlands, maybe I'll just go up there and see if I can see these games back-to-back. You know, like everyone would have to be kept out except if if you were part of the team, but then people would be trying to get on teams, you know, to be the ball boy or whatever because you'd be watching like Premier League. I think it's a great idea. What do you think the chances of that happening are? I'm not sure. I'm not really, and it hasn't moved anywhere, that story. I thought it was interesting. What is interesting, of course, if you're going to say, well, we're putting on the Premier League almost as a public service, we're prioritising it because it is a dominant cultural entity in this country and it entertains and and amuses people and that's that's good because the news at the moment is kind of one track quite understandably if you're going to do that well at the moment the tv deal is on sky television that is satellite broadcast only a certain percentage of the population gets that well the way to entertain the country is to put the premier league on the bbc (laughs) where everybody's going to get it you know if, if, if you're making the premier league available Okay. Um, well, either you're making it available, and, hey, and you don't want people, you don't want people paying. You don't want people paying for that. Well, there right. you go. Yeah. But, but, you, but I think there's I would... an 800 million pound. I think it's 800 million. The 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 is potential. I think it's 793. I think. So would BBC pay with the BBC stake? Would if BBC they don't pay pay... The Oh, sorry to interrupt. But but would BBC pay Sky Sports to have it on the BBC? Like how would that work? Uh, uh, the answer is I don't know. I mean, I think that generally where we are in terms of economics vis-a-vis the country and individual businesses, we are in yeah. territory when, where a lot of people don't know how the, how the, how the hell it is going to work in the short term at the moment, in the long term after this. Yeah. Um, I do think that, that um, mm-hmm. um, there are situations where broadcasters have to look to the, to the, to the, to the wider good and also to potentially be in a position where, okay, if we're going to do this for the government, for the country, yeah. is there a, pre- a quid pro quo later down the line? Because yet again, I think everyone's, yeah. every business is in danger, aren't, aren't they, in this particular situation? Because there's so many unknowns, yeah. um, you know, in terms well, of football clubs, that they were, there's concern about well, certain clubs have furloughed their um employees tottenham have newcastle have liverpool did was it which was extremely controversial and they reversed it yeah they reversed the decision within a few days because it was seen as not culturally the right thing to do and and i think that and i think you know i i just want to wrap it up here but i think that you know there and and maybe we talk next week to see how things have developed because I mean, there, there, so many people are doing so many different things and trying to keep everybody happy and they're making decisions that are sometimes business re- related, sometimes fan related. Um, it's a nightmare. Last thing I'm going to say is that I've watched Sunderland Till You Die on Netflix <laughs> and The English Game, which I thought were really, really good. Is there any other uh, soccer or football um, uh, you know, series that you would recommend people watch uh, on uh, while they're all at home? Mm, um, soccer series. I haven't seen the new Sunderland one. I saw the. It's really I've seen good. The, really the, good. The previous. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's a little bit car crash t- TV to a certain extent. However, yeah. um, and it doesn't all, always put them in the right light. 
in my opinion. However, what it has done is apparently it's, it's, it's made Sunderland more attractive to overseas investment. Yeah. Uh, so they've had, had a lot of interest just because of that sort of entertainment value. Um, in terms of um, behind the scenes, there's, I tell you, what, there's a very good documentary yeah. on um, on Bobby Robson, yeah. uh, an England manager in the 80s, which I think is I think I saw it on here on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure if it's still the same sort of service over there yeah. or whether it would be there. But I think it's I think it's just called Bobby Robson. All right. um, obviously, a Newcastle manager, England manager, very much a gentleman, uh, kind hearted soul. Uh, uh, unfortunately, passed away of cancer a few years, but very much a venerable yeah. um, uh, old man of English football. He, he had class. He had class and did things the right way. So watch that. Nice. Richard, thank you so much for your time um, and coming on the podcast. And we will catch up soon. Thanks, Kevin. Cheers. Stay safe.